Hi there, it's Amy Ehlers here, and I've got a special treat for you. For the next couple of months while I'm off leading retreats in places like Belize and beautiful wine country in California, I've decided to feature some of the most celebrated and most listened to episodes of my podcast, not only of The Amy Ehlers Show, but also of The Mama Truth Show. So you're in for a treat. Please enjoy these best of episodes for the next couple of months while I'm off leading retreats and doing women's leadership work and doing keynotes. And as always, please make sure to tune in to my masterclass, Secrets the Good Old Boys Club Won't Share With You, Five Revolutionary Shifts Women Leaders Must Make Now by going to amyaylersshow.com forward slash masterclass. That's amyaylersshow.com forward slash masterclass. And make sure that you're on my email list too, okay? Because then you'll be up to date with all the newest and latest and greatest news from me. You can check that out at wakeupcallcoach.com. And now on to today's featured episode. So we have an extraordinary treat for you today. Knowing that all of you moms, I know all of us are really conscious moms, we're soulful moms. We want to do everything we can to awaken our children and awaken ourselves so that we can be the mom we were born to be. And so you know that the really the founding person, the person that is really you know creating a revolution around conscious parenting is here on the Mama Truth show. You've probably seen her on Oprah. You've probably read her incredible books like The Awakened Family, her newest book, or Conscious Parenting. And it is just such a delight to have her with us today. So I am really excited and incredibly delighted to welcome Dr. Shafali here onto the Mama Truth Show. Welcome, my dear. Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. The pleasure is mine. So let's just jump into it because I know there's so many different things that we want to cover today. You know, one of the things I was, um, I was looking through your, your, your books, which I have, of course, marked up. But one of the things that I love is that you said the focus is always on the parent's awareness rather than the child's behavior. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what you mean by that? Well, it's really a fundamental shift in how we engage with the world. Yeah. We have been conditioned to view the world and engage the world from a perspective of me versus the other person. It's always me against somebody. If somebody is with my viewpoint, I feel good about it and I I don't check in with myself because I don't need to. If somebody is against me, again, I don't check in with myself because the view of the world is that you can just blame the other. You can distance yourself from the other. You can divorce the other. You can uh, gossip about the other. You can yell at the other. Now when we have children, and that's why I write about children, but I'm really using children to wake parents up to this new way of engaging with the world. Because when you have children, you can't leave them, you can't divorce them. And now when you do your old tricks of when they don't make you happy, you want to yell, you want to scream, you want to do what you've done with the entire world, your inner child having a tantrum, and you've been allowed to because your friends commiserate with you and society says, don't look within, look without. But now when you do it to your child, you can still get away with it, but deep down there, every parent knows and every mom knows that that unbelievable surge of nausea that is the guilt nausea, you know, where you can't sleep at night, you know you've messed up, you just don't know how to change. So what I'm offering parents is a way to shift 
how we engage with the world, where you no longer look at the other, and especially your child, because now it's going to cost you. Your child is going to come back to you with the same negative behaviors that you put on them, and they're going to have a social emotional cost to their psyche that you're going to have to pick up the pieces for. So you can't leave, you can't divorce, you can't change jobs. Now you can either keep ramming into them, but there's that cost, or you can say, maybe the way I'm engaging with the world, the, my style of always projecting out is now not going to serve me anymore. It's actually going to destroy my child. So this is why parenting more than any other relationship becomes the impetus for a wake-up call like no other. So now let's go to your question. Child's behavior, old way of looking at it is to yell, scream, and project, not look within. Culture has given us disciplinary books, books that we can you know, use strategies, timeout, punishment, threats, uh, takeaway things. You can do that, but there will be a cost you pay. And you and I know what that cost is. We've tried the old way. We've tried the traditional way. We've seen it doesn't change behavior. And if anything, it creates a rift between you and your child. So now what's the new way? The new way is to say, how can I do this differently? That way is not working. I need to look within myself. I cannot simply look at the behavior of the child. I need to look at my behavior, which now means I need to look at what's triggering my behavior. Now you begin the excavation of the parent's self. And this is where the gold of consciousness lies. When you begin that process, you realize that, oh, my child came to me so I can really heal all that is that was left unhealed. My inner child has been tantruming all over the place, eating too much, drinking too much, leaving jobs, leaving boyfriends, leaving girlfriends. Now I can't do that. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the best way possible with the mirror to look at my own emotional baggage. Wow. So I just want to pause for a moment and ask all of you moms to just reflect on that for a moment and really look at where in your life right now, what, is, what are your children or your child, what, what are they awakening within you right now? What is being called forth within you that is ready to be healed? And so when we recognize, like I'm thinking of something in my own life right now with my nine-year-old little girl, and I see some behaviors that she's doing, and I know it's like this. It's so painful because I'm like, oh, my God, it's a mirror of my own crap, and I know it. And so then when we're confronted in that way, what do we do next? What, what's the next step out of that prison of knowing, like feeling that guilt if we're shaming them or yelling at them or whatever, when we know it's really about ourselves? What's the next step there? Well, then it's, it's an unglamorous process of deep <laughs> excavation. You know, there's no glamour here. You have to yeah. write about it. You have to get in touch with a coach like you, like me, like a million other coaches. You have to read self-help books and understand how your external behavior is now just a manifestation of a deep wound within you. So, for example, if you are feeling triggered by your child and you're yelling and you're screaming at the kid, you need to then first ask, what about my child's behavior is bringing something up in me? So t give me the behavior that annoys you the most with your child, for example, Amy. What triggers you? Yeah, so right now with my nine-year-old, um, well, she's doing a lot of things. It's actually, it's triggering me because she, well, she recently said, and I'm feeling super vulnerable sharing this, so I just want to name that mamas. Um, so she recently said to me, Mommy, I hate the way my stomach looks. Okay. She's nine years old. And 
she was started expressing to me, and I remember I was watching a whole bunch of clips, of course, preparing for this interview. And it was like that impulse in me was like, oh my God, your body's beautiful. And instead I was like, okay, breathe and get curious. So how are you feeling about your body? Or, you know, compared to what stomach? Like what, you know, so I, I felt like I was able to drop in, but then of course later I was crying my eyes out going, oh my gosh, how at this young age could she start feeling self-conscious about her body? And so it was a huge trigger for me. And I knew such a mirror for me to be doing my own work around how I feel about my own body right. as a woman in this culture. How I like, so if I was to do this with a coach, with, in a coaching session, I would ask, and I'm just going to ask you as a laboratory experiment. Yeah. So I would ask something like to create that excavation. How old were you when you first remember noticing your body and wanting it to be different? So what's your earliest memory? Exactly where she is right now. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. around eight, nine years old at a dance class. I remember it vividly. I was in a leotard. I was feeling great. I was looking in the mirror and all of a sudden I saw some boys giggling at me. And in that moment, I remember feeling red faced and being like, oh, what, what are they saying about my body? And feeling completely self-conscious. Right. And it was like looking in the mirror when I saw that with Annabella, with my daughter. It was like, oh. Right, right. So what did you do as that little girl with that information, that that moment was a, a slight traumatic moment that's yeah. embedded in your psyche. And it, what was the message you then told you about Amy and her body? What was the message you carried from that day forward? Um, that it should look different, that I should be ashamed of it, that I should hide it, right. that I should try to make it look better, right. better smaller. Right. Yeah. Is this something, and you don't have to answer, but would it be fair to say it's something you've struggled with your, your entire life then? I know almost every woman does. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it is, I feel like it's the struggle of our gender for most, I, I mean, yes. almost all the coaching clients that I know, and, right. and I know we've been bombarded since such a young age. So yeah, absolutely. And I've been doing so much work on myself around that my whole life, for sure. Yes. So it's this deep feminine wound that we carry and then a very personal wound because something did happen to you around that. Yeah. Now when your daughter says something to you, now she's just saying it from her experience of herself and she has every right to have that experience. She has every right to say, I want my stomach to be different. Actually, just on its own, if we didn't have this feminine wound that we're all carrying, actually, it's almost as neutral as saying, I want to change the color of my room wall. However, <laughs> It could be. It could be as right. it has a charge for us. Yeah. Because we're carrying this feminine wound. Yeah. And we so want our daughters to be empowered. And we so well, why do we so want them to be so empowered? Is because we were so disempowered. But what if, let's change it. What if we were completely empowered? Then when she says something like that, I want to change my hair, my nose, my eyes, my body, which she could just be saying from a moment in her experience, she has every right to maybe want a different stomach. It's okay to want, to want something else. It's okay. It's legit. Yeah. What if she was just saying it from her experience? And even if she was bullied, but we came from a place of abundance, yeah. right? Then what would be the different cues that we would be responding from? So for example, like imagine if you were completely okay yeah. With the wound and with the non-wound, how would you? Well, how would you first react to her if she said to you, "My, I want my stomach to be different." How would you react? I, well, I feel like it would be neutral. Yeah, 
But yeah. like you said, like, oh, I want to change the color of my room. I'd be like, oh, really? Okay, well, what are you thinking? Like, let's, let's get in there. Let's get curious about it. Like, it would be just a neutral, uncharged conversation. Correct. And then you would do the next level, which is, but it's not the color of your room, right? You, that, that was an example to say neutrality. Yeah. Then say to her, it's not the color of your room, yeah. or we can't change the color of your room that easily. It's just right. some. So now, how do we enter a space of acceptance of that this is your stomach. And sometimes you may want to change the, the shape and that's okay too. That's normal. It's human to want to tweak and do something. But let's talk about how do we first accept that this is who you are, right? So your instinct to tell her she was beautiful came from your own feeling that she was feeling not beautiful, right? right? So that's how we put the lack onto our children. Instead of saying, okay, how can we just accept that this is your stomach and also accept the part of you that may want to change and then talk about mainstream pulling for that in all of us. We all want to be something different. But the key is to say, this is my stomach. Sometimes it's big and I want it to change and sometimes it's fine. I don't want it to change and accept all of us, right? All of living in this muck of culture. But the wounding happens, I think, when we say things like, you're so beautiful. Yeah. You know, uh, you're so skinny. Yeah. I wish I was like you. I wish I was skinny. I, I, or telling her, you know, look at that girl. I, I wish I was her height or her, right? Those unconscious things, you know, yeah. where we put unconscious stock on beauty yeah. instead of acceptance. So yeah. I teach parents not to do that knee jerk thing of, oh, you're so beautiful to go you ha- you, whether you like yourself or not, because the days you're going to not like how you look, no matter what, this is the stomach you got. You've got to accept this stomach and then talk about the role that culture plays in the, but that wounding, right? No, 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 you're beautiful. Don't, 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 don't go down my path. Yeah. Because they should go down whatever path they want and accept even their struggle, if that's their struggle, but to enter it from a place of, I get it. I understand that you want to be like that person, but that's the role that media plays. And let's talk about that. But you gotta accept his body. You gotta accept his body. You know, accept it today. You know, and to do it with the neutrality that that, that doesn't trigger you. I love it, and and I think it's so interesting because, and I know all the moms, you know, listening can relate because we're reading the books and we're doing the work and we're, you know, coming in the Mama Truth Circle and being around other conscious moms. Like I didn't say the words, and I know that she felt that I wanted to say them, right? Because that's the thing is, it's like. The work is that I had the impulse. I was, I was conscious enough to say, wow, there's that impulse and I'm going to go in a different direction with her. But it's like, I still was like, and there's my work right there in that moment. I was like, wow, there's my work because she knows, she knows they're so smart. Our children are so intuitive. It's like, even if I'm saying all the right conscious things and getting curious and whatever, the bottom line is she's going to feel it. Yes. So I'm going to watch you. And so three days from now, you're going to tell her, look, I'm bloated right now. And I'm feeling like, oh, I need to eat healthy. And right now I'm not loving how my stomach is looking, but I'm not going to be down on myself. I'm going to say, I accept, I accept the mess. I accept me even being crabby about it. And I'm going to channel that into how can I adore it? How can I treat it well? How can I honor it? And that's the best you can do. And then she's going to still struggle if she goes to a school with, with, with girls who are into this. You're going to have to deal with it, but from a place of a goddess who's empowered, who understands culture, and that she will be prey to culture. But how do you show her your imperfection and your acceptance of your imperfection, right? 
Love that. It's so funny because I ended up on a car ride with her after that happened. I said, I want to share with you as a rap that I wrote about my own stomach. Yeah. And she was like, really? And I said, yeah, so I'll share it with you real quick. Mama. <laughs> Oh, that is so great. It goes, my tummy, my tummy, my tummy, my tummy's not flat and I'm okay with that. Hey, my tummy. So we started knocking out and singing and I said, how did that feel? She's like, oh, I feel so much better. Oh, and I was like, so cool. <laughs> was like, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Right. So now when somebody teases you about your, your flab here, your flab there, you're going, I know, and I love it. You know, it, let it all jiggle, but instead of hiding it, right? Yes. Many women hide it and we're covering up. And now, but you know, today's generation of women have Alicia Keys out there and women who are not like how we were and how we were raised, but new women who are not afraid to be bare and to be bold and to accept their flaws. And that's what our children need from us, especially our girls. Oh my goodness. So... I know that you talk a lot in your work about the ego, and I'd love for you to talk to the mamas here a little bit about your definition of ego and how we really know when our ego is up. Right, so it's confusing because people initially or instinctively associate the ego with a, a narcissism or, right. or command or control, and that, those are some faces of the ego. But really, in a nutshell, the ego is a protection of our deepest pain. So we act in ego out of protection, really, of pain. But the ego looks like it's all in control. The ego looks like it knows what it's doing. The ego is demeaning. It's controlling. It's, uh, it's, it's really to create separation from the other and make the other feel bad so that we feel okay, but it's because we were feeling so bad in the first place, right? That we need the protection of the ego. So the other day somebody said to me, you know, I'm, I, I'm ready to go out into my light, I'm ready to shine, but how do I control my ego for not getting a big head? And I said that that voice, I told that person that that voice saying that you're gonna get a big head is the ego. Nice stopping you from going out into the light. So ego is always tricky. It's got, it's demeaning. It's always stopping us to enter oneness, to enter light. So any voice, any voice, because it's tricky if you just think it's command and control and anger. It's really any voice that creates fear, that creates hesitation, and that creates separation. So anytime you look at your kid and you go, I can't believe they are, that's ego. Uh, oh my God, what is she? That's the ego. Anything that creates a me versus you, a separation, it's hard to detect, is the ego. So in this man's case, the ego is saying, oh, don't, don't, you know, who are you to go be a teacher and do, you'll have a big ego and people will think you're arrogant. Don't do it. It's, it's the ego. Even though it's telling him not to have an ego, it's the ego. Because anything that's stopping us in fear and hesitation in doubt, because that's lack of trust, lack of being held, lack of oneness, that voice is the ego. So it's very tricky to, to get. You have to know your ego. You have to know your ego specifically. It's a little bit tastier and different than my ego. You know, my ego may be uh, a little pale in taste, but it's bright in another color. Everyone has a different shade and a nuance to their ego, but you have to know your ego well. Like I know my traps very well now, but I can catch it. And I know it really, and people can know it because you feel the minute the ego's up, you feel yucky. Yeah. Right? When you're yelling at your kid, 
you feel yucky. And if you stop yourself before the ego takes over and dip in, that's why mindfulness is so essential to this practice, then you're in touch with the feeling, right? So when your kid is late at school, right, late to go to school, and you're like wanting to go into the bathroom and brush their hair, like yank them out the house and your anxiety is building, instead of going with that, you go inside yourself, you take a cup of tea, you go sit down, you go, okay, I'm in anxiety right now. I'm in anxiety right now. I'm in anxiety. Like just get in touch with, I want to scream right now. I want to scream. I want to yell. She's going to be late. We're going to be in trouble. All these voices are the voices of our inner child, which then created this ego. The inner child wanted to be protected. It never learned to be soothed. It created these defense. The ego is the defense to that anxiety, right? So we're anxious. We're not in touch with the anxiety. We go yell. Now I teach parents, break that, get in touch with your anxiety, sit with your own anxiety. And then when the anxiety is calm, go to your child and say, we could be late. And then you can even create a consequence, not create, but you can offer the consequence. If you're late, we walk. If you're late, you're late, right? And then you enter teaching your child natural things. Instead of you controlling the situation, hurry, 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 hurry. They are resentful now. You haven't taught them anything and you haven't taken care of your anxiety. What do you do, like, because I know so much of your work around, you know, releasing the ego and getting in touch with our essential selves, with that authentic part of us, and helping our children in turn also get in touch with their authentic selves and that essential part of them. What do we do as parents when it feels like those essential selves are in contrast to one another, like where they're in contradiction? Um, as a mom, do you put your child, your child's essential self over your essential self? Or how do we, how do we go about that when it feels like your child is in tune with their essential self and what they want is in polar opposite to what you need in that moment? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So this question also comes from your, your intellect, which is creating like, uh, you know, you're like over, look how we we talk, right? Yes. Yes. Talk in terms of, okay, I, I don't want my essential self trampled and I don't. So, so a couple of things. The essential self, let me, the authentic essential self is not bliss. It's not, oh, I'm happy. The essential self is exactly what I just said, getting in touch with the as isness of that original authentic feeling from within. So it could be, I'm in a hell of a lot of anxiety right now, and I want to scream at you, my dear child, but I'm not going to scream at you, but I need you to help in this situation. But that's operating from essence, see? Essence is not, I'm free and I'm flying. It's going, child, this is causing me anxiety. I really want to yell at you, but I know it's my anxiety. How can you help me, right? And, and then your child hears you from a very different place because your child will say, mom, I got this, calm down. And you're like, I know, but I can't calm down. And then your child is parenting you, right? right? And then you kind of work out something versus pretending that you're not anxious pretending that you're just yelling at them because you care about them to get to school. No, you're anxious that they're going to be late. You're anxious that they'll get into trouble. You're anxious that you'll be late for your meeting. So what is tapping into authentic self is tapping into the as is, is the truth of your feelings in that moment. Okay. Your next question is, well, I feel like my kid needs to get out of, get off the screen. And my kid is so in the essence on the screen. For example. Right, right. Yeah. Well, a couple of things here. You know, first, when you are in essence and you understand the world from this place, you are always going to create a connection. You're not going to create a 
my needs over your needs or your needs over my needs. You're always going to find a way to connect. Mm. So then you bother, right? You go, I feel like you've been on the screen for too long. Do you know how long you've been on the screen? Oh, let me tell you, you've been on the screen for an hour and a half now. And it's, you have just, you've just entered this robotic state. And as a parent, it's, I need to tell you, it's not healthy for you anymore. Right. So let's talk about when you're going to get off the screen because I, as a parent, I won't allow it for much longer. And then the kid looks at you and goes, okay, I understand. Thank you for letting me be. Or I hate you. Why don't you let me be? Either way, the parent is now called to enter their essential self to create a life, I call them life-affirming boundaries for their children. Yes. As long as you're not coming for me, go, get off the screen or I'm going to take the screen away. No, you go, what is my role here? How do I create a life-affirming boundary and hold on to that and communicate it in a connected way? So you bother with your kid. Okay, kid, it's been too long. I know you hate me. I understand. I get it. When you're, when you're an adult, you'll understand, but now I'm going to take it away because it's been too long. And I love you, but I'm taking it away. And there's a way to do it with deep connection, even if they don't see it, but you are operating out of that essence, right? And you're creating a life-affirming boundary for them. I love that. So just bringing it back to all of you listening and to myself as well, of course, but what is a life-affirming boundary that you're being called to set with your child right now? What is that? Write it down if you can. Think about it. And actually, um, what I love about this so much is I think that there's this misconception about conscious parenting that says that means that the children rule the roost and there are no boundaries and it's all about them just being in their authentic selves and blah, 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 you know, and it's like, it's actually completely not at all that way at all, but it is that come from of coming, getting out of our own ego and stepping into that life affirming boundary that's coming from our essential self because you know I know my child personally she would play Minecraft all day if I let her <laughs> but right. it's like but it's not as, yeah it's the same as would you let them be with a friend all day and night no so everything good has a boundary and everything bad has a boundary so right. there is no good and bad it's just how you create the boundary and allow your child to participate with you in the creation of the boundary not interfere because fear leads to that manic blind control. And you're right, you know, many people who hear this think it's about being permissive, right. you know, and how can being conscious being, be the same as being permissive? Because when you're conscious, you're very present. You know every minute your child is on a screen. You know when your child is disconnected. You know when your child is sad. You're connected, you're present, you're available. You know, so conscious parenting makes you very available to know, okay, now enough. And not be afraid to say now enough because you've created so much connection with the child that even if they say, I hate you and I want another mother, you're like, okay, I understand, no problem. I'm going to create a life-affirming boundary. And I explain in my book, The Awakened Family, the difference between a life-affirming boundary and an ego-affirming boundary. So ego-affirming boundaries are things like, you have to practice your piano every single day, you know? And then the question is, well, is piano playing life-affirming? You know, if it was life-affirming, every single child across the world would need to be playing a piano. <laughs> Obviously, it's optional. And because it's optional, now your ego gets in the way. So therefore, the jurisdiction ultimately lies on your child. Now you can offer it, you can entice them, you can, you can make it happen, but not against their severe will, right? Because now, because you have to then ask yourself, it's not brushing teeth. That's a life-affirming boundary. It's not having a shower. That's a life-affirming boundary. 
It's not going to get educated however you get educated. That's a life-affirming boundary. It's not um, being in a family. That's life-affirming. It's, it's something optional. So when it's optional, you have to watch the ego even more. You can do it, but you have to do it in a way that truly understands, now I'm pushing it. Like Now I'm, I'm like pushing my way, you should play the piano, onto my child. It has to be enveloped by them as well. Yes. Um, what do we do about schooling? Because I know that it's like when we're dealing with our children as a mom, one-on-one with our child, and then we see them in a classroom with, you know, 20 other students or 30 other students or whatever the case may be in your area. And then it's like, how does a teacher, how can a teacher do this with all of those different students and set those life-affirming boundaries when one might feel life-affirming to one child, but then might be completely from the ego for another child? How do we do this and how do we teach our children to survive in our culture, not survive, but thrive in our culture and be their authentic selves in a culture that is so much about getting in line and you know conforming to what the whole needs. Well, you know, you can't put them against culture, right? If you've put them into that environment, then you've got to own that you are now going to receive the 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 devastation of that unconscious system. Yeah. Uh, but you have to recognize it as an unconsciousness, not an evilness, yeah. and not turn your child against that because you put them there. Uh, and, you know, we have to recognize that people who homeschool, people who private school, these are luxuries that not everyone can afford. So right. the vast majority of this country will send their kids to a system. Uh, and who says private schools are anyway more enlightened? I'm not saying that. Or who says homeschooling is better? I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying wherever you choose to send them, recognize the unconscious holes in that system. So when you send your kid to a mainstream public education system, you know that they are going to ingest ideas about success, competition, comparison, racing ahead of the curve. So they're going to get a heavy dose of that. That acid metal toxicity is going to be in their psychic system. So now you as a parent get to have a choice to be the antidote of that at home. Not that, oh, it doesn't matter. You can't do that because you've sent them there. You then talk about, okay, you are in that system. It's telling you that your worth is based on a grade. I'm here to tell you your worth is not based on a grade. And then you have to live and breathe that. But I'm here to tell you that you still have to thrive in the system. So we have to figure out a way together. I can support you. I won't yell at you for grades, but I need you to put in the best effort you can. And then I would just back off you. You know, So you create some sort of conscious conversation around that. You have to breathe it and live it. It's not just the conversation because when your kid does come back with that C grade and says, I'm useless, I'm stupid, I'm horrible, I'm, I'm a no good, what are you going to say back? You have to truly embody a belief system that says, this is the unconsciousness, this is the messaging. I'm sorry I can't take you to utopia. You have to go there, but I'm recognizing with you that it sucks. It's, it's not fair. It's, it's traumatic. I'm here for you. But now let's meet it in the middle, right? You don't need to get an A grade every time or even 90% of the time, but you do need to put in an A plus effort. And I'm here to help you do that A plus effort. And you help your child. And then when you see them embracing you and trying, then you back off the outcome. But you have to really back off the outcome. Again, pointing back to doing our own work, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what it's... 
so much about. And I, and I feel like, you know, one of the myths in the Awakened family is around happiness and raising yes. a happy child. And, and I know we're starting to wrap up here, but I'd love for you to talk about that for a moment before we do. Well, we, we claim as parents that we're doing all of this for our child's happiness, right? We're driving them to fatigue and stress and overscheduling and 10 things here. And because we think that eventually they'll go to a good school, be in a fabulous alumnus program and be happy. Right. Well, these are misconceptions because they come out of our own sense of lack, right? We haven't yet arrived at happiness. We think the more you climb, or maybe I just didn't climb enough. Maybe I just didn't marry well enough. Maybe I just didn't work hard enough. So I push all this onto my child, not recognizing that it's just because we aren't happy in the now and we don't know how to access happiness in the moment mm -hmm. that we teach our children to go toward happiness. Children are in happiness. We take them out of happiness. It's because we don't know what happiness is. We don't know what that is. We don't know what joy is. We don't know what embodiment of purpose is. We don't know what peace is. And, and we just hope that, okay, if, if I drive my child to get X, Y, and Z, then maybe they'll get peaceful, which I have never gotten. So it's about recognizing that we're always operating from fear. It's fear that even talks about happiness as a goal rather than as a reality. Beautiful. Um, so I wanted to just take a moment to invite all of our listeners here to go to your upcoming event. I'm so excited about this. It is, talk about, you know, so much of um, the Mama Truth Circle and this community on the show is about sisterhood and being able to drop the masks of being the perfect mom and step into truth telling about the messiness and the magic of motherhood and really embrace both of those sides and come into, you know, parenting and motherhood as a vehicle for spiritual growth. And so I know that as people come to your event, Evolve, that's happening in New York City, um, that they're going to not only get to hear your incredible wisdom and get to drink in all of the lessons that you have for us and all of these profound teachings, they're also going to be in this community of people and to be in a room surrounded by other people that are yearning for this, that are hungry for this, and that are dedicated to doing this as parents. So will you tell people a little bit about the Evolve event? And by the way, I just want to give the website out. It's drshivali.com, which is spelled Dr. D-R, and then S-H-E-F-A-L-I.com. It'll also be in the show notes, drshivali.com. You can go there right on the homepage. You're going to see this powerful video about the Evolve conference. But will you tell my listeners a little bit about it? Well, I created this collective community simply for the reason you said that when you're in a room charged with other people who are on the precipice of change and desire to to learn and catapult their awareness your own uh, insurgency toward growth uh, exponentially becomes more frequent more deep and quicker so this is why we've created this collective consciousness it's called evolve the conscious way summit it's in new york city it's in october it's priced so affordable for three days. It's going to be an intensive deep dive where you will learn the, the art and the to get the tools and the technique to implement things in your life. But people will just through that energy completely shift. You know, there's something about immersing yourself in a new energy, breathing a new air and being around a new uh, sensibility that shifts you like nothing before. You can sit on your couch and read a book. That's great too, but it's far different than having this experience. And I think people need to have all kinds of experiences. Listen to podcasts, take a webinar, read a book, 
And then once in a while, immerse yourself in a new experience of, of learning and transformation. So that's what I'm offering. And it's a safe community. Everyone's vulnerable, everyone's open, and everyone is supportive. So it's called Evolve. It's on my website, drshefali.com. And I, it's going to be fabulous. So I hope people will join. Ned Hallowell, who's a leading world-renowned expert on ADHD, he's my dear friend. He and I are going to be doing a discussion about a transformed way to look at ADHD, which, uh, you know, ails so many families. So I hope people will take the invitation and come. I love it. And I, yeah, I'm looking myself at how I can get out there. And this is one, you know, obviously if you live on the East Coast, get your booty there because I know it's going to be amazing for you. And this is an event that's worth flying for. I mean, when I saw the lineup that you have and the things that you're going to be covering, I was like, okay, all of my listeners need to be there. So please check it out, drshivali.com. Um, the URL is in the show notes so that you can go and be with her in person. Thank you so much, Dr. Shivali. I have one final question that I ask all my guests. Yes. So um, what's messy and what's magical about motherhood for you personally right now? I think the messiest part is staying separate from my daughter's emotional upheavals. Mm. And I don't mean this in a cold way. Yeah. Like, but in my book, it's, it's almost this healthy detachment we need to have, which honors our children being on their journey. So where I get messed up is when she's in, in, in an upheaval, I automatically take on the anxiety and somehow it becomes my anxiety, messed with control, and now I'm all messed up. When I'm in a state of detachment, I can allow and honor her spiritual path that she will figure it out. I'm here for her. But I can only be there for her when I'm separate. In my, when, when I understand that our paths are together, but very separate. Um, so that's the messiness. And then the magic is learning that and reminding myself because it immediately takes me to trust. My trust that she has come to manifest her destiny. Our children have come to execute their will and their destiny. And they have the resources already imprinted in them. We are just the guides to take them there. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I am so honored. Thank you very much. And mamas, please just keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood. Until next week, happy Mama Truth Monday. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's Best of episode. Make sure to check out the latest happenings at wakeupcallcoach.com. That's wakeupcallcoach.com. Keep embracing the messiness and the magic of life. Bye-bye.